0: Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Activate Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Activate. Today, this message that I want to preach to you is kind of like, just so you know, it's like James is throwing down a challenge. And it's like a big challenge. Some of us t- today, we're like, yeah, we're Christians. We'll wait till you get to the end of this message. Because he throws down the challenge, and you're like, okay, well, maybe there are some things that I could change about my life. And so I want to read to you today out of James chapter 2 and verses 14 to 20. Here's what it says He said, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Now James is not asking that question hoping that someone will write back to him and answer it. It is a rhetorical question. He is actually asking that question to lead you to the same belief that he has which is that that faith is not good. So he says, he has faith but does not have works. He asks a follow-up question that is pretty serious. And he says, Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, this is pretty serious. Since Faith is what facilitates your relationship with God. Since faith is the only way to please God, since faith is the only way that you can get into heaven, is by putting your faith in what Christ has done. And he says this sentence at the end, so faith by itself, if it does not have works, then it's not real. And I feel like what James is doing today is he's kind of like holding up the mirror to let people know where they're really at. I, I want to preach a message to you today called Work It. just called Work It. I wanted to preach a message, work, 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 work. <laughs> but then Jesus said, don't, don't name the sermon after a song that Rihanna sang, so I, would, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Um, you know, when I first got saved, I I remember, um, or really, it was, I had a relationship with God when I was young, but when I came back to the church, and I was 21 years old, I remember going into church every single Sunday and sitting in the seats and listening to what the preacher was saying, and I had a, a huge encounter with God that transformed my life, and there was this gap between what had happened on that first time that I walked back into church and how I started to practically change my life. In fact, it was probably about 12 months in all, to be honest, about 12 months of going into church and sitting in the seat and listening to the preaching and understanding what was written and reading the scriptures. And it was probably 12 months of that before anybody would be able to look at me and say, Oh, you're a Christian. Like it would have been invisible to everyone. I had a gap. I, what I was getting is I was getting some information in church. But information can be abstract, it can exist all in its own. In fact, you can get information as a human being and just silo that. So you keep it in its place. There's a big difference between information and revelation. Where information is just uh, knowledge that you possess, revelation will facilitate a change in your life. It begins to transform the way that you think, the way that you act, your, your, your attitude, it transforms you completely. And the whole time that I was sitting in there, can I tell you the truth, for 12 months, I didn't see a problem with it. I didn't see a problem with the disconnect between what I was listening to and what I heard was right and how I was living. And one of the reasons why is because as human beings, we have an unlimited capacity for self-deception. We are so good at it. We're so good at pretending and maybe lying to ourselves, not really thinking, uh, you know, making that connection between what's real and what's not. Just check Facebook or fake book, whatever you want to call it. There's plenty of people on there who are not what they post to be, you know. In fact, did you know, I was looking at this with Instagram, and if you don't have an Instagram account, you're not going to know this, right? But, but if you go on Instagram and you want to find out what other people are doing, you can go to their profile and you can click this button called follow. And so you become a follower of theirs on Facebook. But I think it's kind of an interesting word to use you know, follower, because you're not really following. They should call it watching, but that sounds creepy, so let's not do that, you know, like, (laughs) I want to watch you on my computer, on my iPhone, like, it's weird, you know, but they, what do they call it? They call it following, but let's not be confused about what's happening. There's no actual following that's happening. You're not not walking in the steps that that person is walking in, are you? You're just watching what they're doing, right? And there is a big difference between walking in the steps and really following somebody and following their life and going after them. There's a big difference between that and just watching what people do. Man, it's one thing to like just insta-follow somebody. It's another thing to actually follow someone. And James is talking on this very topic and what he's really doing is he's calling out the fake Christians. Here's where it gets even worse. They don't even know that they're fake. They think that they're real. It's like these Instagram followers. I'm a follower. Whoa, 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 whoa you're not. James is saying, you are not a follower. And here's what's really sad about this. This letter that James writes, it could be the very first indication To all of these people that think that they're Jesus followers, that they're actually not. It might be the very reading of this scripture that informs people, oh my gosh, I thought I was a Christian, but as I start to read this, I realize that I'm not really, I'm just watching what Christian people are doing. I don't know if you've ever had to break it to someone. Have you ever had to do that? Like, has anybody ever bought a pair of jeans and they've worn them out and you just had to break it to them? You can't wear that. <laughs> like, you look terrible. Like, you can't wear that. You, you can't pull that off. Like, they get a haircut, and it's like, never do that again with your hair because it doesn't look good on you. Most people won't do that because they feel uncomfortable, right? You know? But, but if you've ever had to break it to someone, the reason that you're, they're so shocked is because they don't actually realize it's even, even an issue. And James in this passage is breaking it to these guys that think that they're Christians. Listen to what he says in James chapter one and verse 22. He said, but be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. I told you, humans have an unlimited capacity for self-deception. He said, don't deceive yourselves. For if someone... No, if anyone, this applies to all people, if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his what? He'll be blessed in his what? Have you ever noticed that it's very difficult for God to bless the things that you don't do? You are making it practically impossible for Him. And I know that there is nothing that's impossible for God. Yeah, I'm saying He has the ability to bless you, but He can't bless what you don't do because you didn't do it so it doesn't exist. And since it doesn't exist, He can't bless it. So you need to do it first. I mean, this is not really rocket science, is it? This morning, I feel like there is parts of this that is really making sense. And so James gives us this picture, and he says, "Oh, you know what this is like? This is like a man that holds up, that goes and looks at his face in the mirror, and he looks, and then he he sees what's there, and he immediately walks away and forgets." Now, if you were to wake up in the morning, and you check out your own face in the mirror, you might want to make a few adjustments. If you're a man, you probably want to shave your face, you know? Just clean yourself up. What, please, wash your face, everybody. Wash your face. When you get up in the morning, no one wakes up with perfect hair. Come on now. Like, I mean, you may look at your crazy hair in a million directions and say, you know, I should do something about that. And James is saying, wouldn't it be crazy? to actually look in the mirror and to see that there are necessary adjustments that need to be made, and then to immediately walk away and not even do one of them. And he says, come on. I mean, there should be some things when we hold up the mirror to your life, which is what James is really doing here, when, when we look at them, we say, hey, there is so much that's obvious about what needs to be changed. These are some things I need to action immediately. Can you imagine how shocking it would be to find out that you were not the real deal because you didn't make the necessary adjustments as a follower of Jesus? Imagine if you found out, oh my gosh, I am not even the Christian. I'm not the real deal. Like That is freaking me out because you didn't make any necessary adjustments. And what James is saying is that faith requires you to make adjustments. And he asks two questions that I think are so important that we need to listen and pay attention to today. The first question he says is, what good is it if you have faith and you don't have works? And he asks that question only to lead you to the same place where he is. He's already there. He already knows what he thinks. He wants you to come to the same place where he is, where you say, you're right, that is not good faith. And not only that, he asks a second follow-up question, can that faith even save a person? If this is not making an impact on you, nothing in the Bible will. Can the faith that doesn't do anything, can that faith even save a person? Some of you here today and you're like, whoa, 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 hey, wait a minute. Slow down. Easy there, tiger. uh, You're forgetting what Paul said in Romans. Aren't we saved by grace through faith in Christ? Aren't we saved by grace? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're saved by the grace of God. But what I want you to do for the next few minutes is to put your thinking caps on so that you really understand what James is saying when he writes this. See, let me explain it to you this way. When you become a person that gives your life to Jesus, if you're new in church today, just so you, we can get around the lingo, we consider you saved, right? So Jesus has saved your life. And so when you become a person that's saved by Jesus, there is a transformation that takes place in your life. A transformation. A transformation and and that transformation it begins to shift your priorities and it causes you to make some adjustments in your life when a person gets saved it's obvious we can see it where well their values change immediately i mean things that have never been important to them immediately become important you know like reading the bible like you know there, there was a time when it wasn't important oh now i know who jesus is now this Reading this, this is really important to me. Coming to church, you know, you read the scriptures and it says, do not forsake the meeting together of the brethren. You know, like, whoa, wait a minute. Church is really, really important if that's what the scriptures say. So my values are going to shift. And what I previously thought was really important in my life no longer has the same weight that it used to have. There is a difference in me. There is a change in me. My values are completely shifted and changed. I see things differently to the way I used to see them. Yeah. Your time? Oh, your time will shift totally. So instead of sleeping in on a Sunday morning, you now get up. You know, like, I mean, I remember that for me, um, Saturday night was the night that Sarah and I would often go out. Then I became a pastor, and suddenly Sunday morning owned my Saturday night. So I don't know what you're up to Saturday night, but I'm getting some rest. So I can be here the next day. Why? Because I'm giving my time to God. So there's a complete shift in my time, in the way that I'm spending my time. There's a shift in who I give my time to, what I give my time to, you know. There there, there is a difference in me now. It wasn't there before, but now I know who God is. Now I'm a Jesus follower. Now I'm a Christian. And because of that, there are some things that shifted in me. Oh, what about your money? See, when you become a Jesus follower, something shifts in the way that you spend your money. One of the things that you probably do is you start tithing. So you take a tenth of your income and you give it to God through the church to extend the kingdom of God so that people that don't have the message of the gospel can hear it and be encouraged and that they can be saved too. So your money is different. What you invested into completely shifts and changes. Your energy, the things that you put your energy into, they shift and change too. You know, The thing is, and let's be honest, right, not everyone wakes up every day with 100% energy to pursue whatever it is that God said to them. So I make a choice about what I'm giving my energy to. And I say that because there will come a day, if you're serving on the host team, there will come a day where you will, and you've already had this day, prefer to sleep in. But you will rust it on. And so you're like, oh, but I feel tired, but I'm disciplined. I feel like, you know, it would be easier to sleep in. Oh, it would be easier. But when you're a Christ follower, you determine what you're going to give your energy to And you're specific about it. You're intentional about it. Do you see what I'm saying this morning, church? Do you see what I'm saying? That when you become a Jesus follower, there is these shifts that begin to happen in your life and they happen across every area of your life. And this shift in your life is the evidence that your faith is present. I want you to look at what James says about Abraham. Abraham. Because he uses Abraham as an example. And I want you to look at something that you may have never seen before. You may have never seen this. Because there is a moment in the scripture that I'm about to read to you where Abraham became justified. So that's a Christian word. Let's let's say what that is. That means I'm in right standing with God. I'm in a good relationship with God. I'm in a good place with God, right? And I want you to note when, I want you to note when Abraham was justified. Let me read this scripture to you. It comes out of chapter 2 and I'm going to begin in verse 21. This is still in the book of James. He says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? That's interesting. He says, when you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Now, if you go back and read in the book of Genesis, when things were counted to Abraham as righteousness, it was the moment he believed what God said. So you read it for yourself. You go to Genesis chapter 15. You scroll down and God makes uh, Abraham a promise. And he says to him, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Come on, see if you can count them. Try Do your best, right? You won't be able to count them. You'll lose count. That's what it's going to be. In your life, I'm gonna give you so many kids that, like, you know, there's gonna be nations that come out of you. That's the promise that he makes to him, right? Now, this is a hard promise to believe because at this very time, Abraham and his wife are barren. They haven't been able to have kids. And so, you know, God just shows up one day and says, Oh, you'll have more kids than anyone. This is crazy. And it says at this very moment that he believed God. And when he believed God, his belief was counted to him as righteousness. So what happened after that? Well, after that, he actually had a child. That child's name was Isaac. God came to him one day and he said to him, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to take him up the mountain and I want you to sacrifice him. And no doubt at that very point, Abraham is thinking, whoa, 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 wait a minute, because he is the heir to the promise. And if I do that, then all the stuff, remember God, remember the stars? Remember the conversation about the stars and all the kids and all the people and all the nations, right? Did you forget about that? Because if I kill him, I don't get that. But it says at that very point that he partnered with what he heard. And when was he justified? At the moment that he took Isaac up and was prepared to sacrifice him, which he never did, but it's a picture of what Jesus did for us later on. Because immediately as I start talking, I feel like sometimes in church, you know, to be honest, we talk about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And so we say those things and and, and you can become so familiar with hearing that phrase that it loses the impact that it's supposed to have on you. But as I start to talk about Abraham taking his one and only son and sacrificing him, or actually he had two, but let's not talk about that. But he had a second, you know, (laughs) He took Isaac and he took him up and he was about to sacrifice him. Everybody goes, because you're refreshed with the story in a different way, you're like, oh, that's horrible. Yeah, that's right, it was horrible. And it was horrible when God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for our sins and die on the cross for all the weight of our sin and everything that we did wrong. And so you see it in a different way. But what back to Abraham, what happened at this moment? Well, it says that Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. And at the last minute, God said, no, I've got, a, I've got another plan. I want you to do something else. But it was at that moment that he became justified. So righteousness was counted to him when he believed. Yeah? Hands up if you understand what I'm saying today. All right, I don't want to lose you because it's very important. Righteousness is counted to him when he believes. He is justified when he does something about what he believes you get that? And James is saying that it works the same way in the New Testament. Now, you need to understand this and please listen to this. If you take away one idea from today, let it be this one. You're not saved when you do works. You do works when you're saved. Yeah? You're not saved when you do works, but you do works when you're saved. Someone's going to say, oh, I'm a human being, not a human doing. Yeah, awesome. So, great. I, I fully agree with you. You're a human being. And if you ever form your identity around what you do, you're headed for a cliff. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that when you are a person... That is a follower of Jesus, then everyone else can see, and it's clearly evident because there is something that you do when you partner with what you hear that is self evident to all. You know what I honestly think? I honestly think that there are generations of Christian people that believe that being a Christian is all about what you avoid in life, what you gotta stick away from. You know? all right, well, I'm not going to look at that stuff on the internet, and I'm, I'm going to avoid excessive drinking, and I'm going to avoid uh, uh, you know, swearing in public. I'm going <laughs> to avoid um, all of this stuff. I'm, I'm going to avoid it. Hey, can I tell you something this morning? I, I, if you think that sin fits all into that category, there's a whole other category you don't even know about. Yeah. Yeah. Those sins are the sins of commission, It's when you do something that's wrong. You know there's a whole other category, right? You know there's an entire category of sins called the sins of omission when there was something that you were supposed to do that you never did. You cannot live this life just avoiding the bad stuff and not doing the stuff you're supposed to do. Because the Bible says both of them are wrong. And if we spend our lives avoiding sin... We're never really actually being a Christian in the sense of its original meaning, which means I am, you know the word Christian, it, it means little Christ. So I'm a smaller version of what Christ was. I'm going after him. I'm a follower of him. What he did, I'll continue to do the work that he started. He's going to now work it through me. I'm saying in the original sense of the word, not something that you mark on your census. Yeah, I guess we are. Like, you know, we went at Christmas and Easter, whatever. You know, I'm not talking about that stuff not today i'm talking about what it really meant to be a follower of jesus god's looking for followers not believers you know when you read this scripture you know what it says at the beginning it says even like we read this at the beginning of today it says you believe that god is one you do well Even the demons believe and shudder. I reckon the demons have better theology than a lot of people. Because they know what's real. They were probably there in the beginning. They know what's up. They understand the power and the authority of God. They are ageless and so have been around for a long time, and it says they believe that God is real. So just believing that God is real is obviously not enough to get you to heaven because I don't think them believing that God is real is going to help them one little bit because the demons, somewhere way back when, did not partner with what they understood to be true. They got kicked out of heaven, and now they're in a bad place. So just because you understand something doesn't make it, doesn't actually necessarily, I mean, it's important, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that belief, just knowing stuff is going to save you. You can have a good theology and no relationship with Jesus. Can we look at this next slide? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who, what? Who does the will of my Father Who is in heaven. Isn't that kind of scary? Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord. And the people that say, Lord, Lord, are the people that James is writing to. They are the people that think that they're the real deal. And it's not until we hold up the mirror. This is a mirror, by the way, this message today. They're holding up the mirror and they're like, oh my gosh, I need to make a few adjustments. You're right. There are some things in my life that are out of order and I need to shift those things, make the necessary adjustments so that I know that I'm the real deal. And not faking my way through this whole thing. Can I tell you that God is not impressed <laughs> by your theology? <laughs> like, here's a conversation that's never been had in heaven. The Holy Spirit and I were talking, we were just so impressed by you. We thought the way that you conveyed us and the way that you, your belief system, oh, you're impressive. <laughs> Outstanding. In fact, um, we're catching up with Jesus later on, and we were going to sit down and have a meeting about this. How do we ever do this without you? (laughs) We just don't, we just, until you came, we weren't really sure how to advance the kingdom of God, but now that you're here, and because you have all the knowledge in the world, we're just so impressed by that. That's You're amazing. You're incredible. God doesn't care. You, You know what you could do? You could be the kind of person that could read the New Testament in its original Greek language, and Jesus will be like... Yeah, well, so can I. Like, I mean, uh. <laughs> you could be the kind of person who, in a prayer meeting, you pray <laughs> the most eloquent prayers. You pray for 10 minutes. At small group, you pray for 10 minutes. No one else has an opportunity to pray because you just keep going. <laughs> and you use the most spiritual words. Words, thank you, Jesus, so you are the propitiation for our sins. Oh, propitiation. I said it. Do you know what it means? I do. Like, I mean, you could be the most spiritual person and God is not saying, oh my gosh, you are remarkable. How do we do this without you? He's not actually necessarily impressed by that. I remember hearing this message that Francis Chan did um, a couple of years ago and he gave this great story. It was so good. I wanted to tell you today. He said, if I went to my daughter and I said to her, hey, can you go and, and clean up your room? And she said back to him, I can do that. He says, okay, well, we'll see you later. And a few hours later, they get together. And when they get together, he says, "Um, Did you clean your room? And she goes, Well, no, but I know exactly how to do it. I know exactly how to do it, right? In fact, I can even say bedroom in Greek. (laughs) At that exact moment, there is nothing remarkable about that or impressive about that. You know, as a father, when you send your kids to clean the room, it's not like, Don't tell me how to do it and say it in another language. Get the job done. Could you just do it? Like, can we not just let's not just talk about it, you know, and talk about how good it would be if you did it? What if we just did it? What if we would just do us? What if we just action the things that we believe? You know, when Sarah and I became the pastors here at Activate Church around about that time. There was a lot of uh, prophetic words that were being given to us and dreams and visions and all the rest of it. And I want to tell you this, when God is getting ready to move in your life, there's a lot of prophetic activity that will happen around you. And one of the reasons why that happens is because God wants you to be absolutely clear on what He's asking you to do. And so for us, we were abundantly clear in what God was asking us to do. But do you know, despite the fact that he had made himself so clear, we still had a choice. And we could choose at that moment to partner with what we heard, what we dreamed, the words that were spoken to us, or we could just ignore it altogether. We still had to partner with it. We still had to do something about it. And you know, I kind of, as I read this book, right, I see there are so many things in these scriptures, so many commandments, so many encouragements, so many things that God tells us to do. And if I read this and I understand that this is alive and speaking to me, then I know that I have to make changes to my life. And you know what, the, the thing that really impacts me the most is that your future could be behind that first step that you take. Let me explain it to you another way. God's got a future for you. He wants to do something with your life. I believe that's true for every single person that's in this room today. So he gives you an indication of what he wants you to do, and you have a choice whether to partner with it and act accordingly or not. If you don't, you stay where you are but you'll never see the life that he had if you don't start taking steps doing what he said and I think, wow what could this world look like if everyone who called themselves a Christian did what God asked them to do. Man, what would that world look like? I reckon it would be pretty different. And you know the point that James is making in all of this is that your faith forget what they tell you on the 7pm project and whatever else, right? Just forget this. Your faith is not private. It's not supposed to be. Not if you read what the Scriptures say. You know what James is saying? He's saying, this is really going to hit home for some people, maybe. If we can't see your works, your faith doesn't exist. Now, I wouldn't have the guts to say that to anybody. But James does because he's saying if we we if we can't see your works the faith you think you have it's not really there it's not real it doesn't it doesn't actually exist you know what james said he said man you if you think that you're the real deal but you never do a thing with your life you never action what God said to do. He says, you're deceived. You're deluded into thinking you're something that you're not. And some people are going to come and say, "Well, you know, like, we just came from this church, and like, hey, don't feel any condemnation today, all right? You're like, there are times and there are seasons, and we just got here, man. Like, give us a break. Like, you're, So you haven't seen me do anything. I've got skills. I plan on bringing them out one day, but I'm just not doing it yet. All right, cool. We get it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the times and the seasons because there are times when you need a break. There are times when you need a season of rest and that's okay, I get that. But the person that lives in a break from zero to a 100, their entire life is a break. That's a person that doesn't actually have faith. That's a person whose faith is, is dead. And you know, when I think about faith it should be shown, it's, it's demonstrated, we can see it. You know, do you know how we see it? We see it in how we, how we serve each other. It's one of the ways that you see faith, is service. Because do you remember what Jesus said? He said something like, oh, remember, you know, that the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Do you remember that scripture? So not even Jesus, who is God, way above all of us in this room, he said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve you. See, there's something about Christians that serves the world. There's something about us that serves other people. And, you know, and it might be small, I don't know, but I, I tell you, start to cultivate this as a mentality. Hold open doors for people, just by way of reminder that you know what, I'm here to serve the world after you. You know, what I see it, I see it in the way that people love each other. You remember that other thing that Jesus said? He said, uh, I need the commandment I give to you today that you will love one another. And then he followed it up and he said this. He said this. This is how people will know you're my disciples. By how you love. It's how we love people that tells the world that we're followers of Him. And I mean, if you really think about what this is saying, we're not just talking about loving people that love us, but we're talking about loving people that don't love us. We're talking about the kind of radical love that makes an impact. Everyone knows that, if, you know, a husband and wife, that they should love each other. So when you see it, it's not like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, there's nothing you know, shocking about that. They should love each other. But when you can love someone that doesn't deserve it, Man, that's the kind of thing that makes an impact. And he says, this is how people will know you're followers of me. Love people, serve the world. Love people, serve them. I'm so grateful that Jesus didn't just have all the head knowledge in the world, but he partnered with what he heard when he gave his life because there was a time in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, God, if there is any other way, I ask, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. If there is any other way, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go through it. But I'm here to serve people, and I love these people. So if this is the only way to love them, then I will Follow this all the way to the cross. I'll do it. I'll be there. We call that the gospel message. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We are the recipients of a God that modeled what we need to now walk in. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not that complicated, is it? And in fact, when I read it, it just makes so much sense. This message is a mirror. The message It's a mirror, and you hold it up, and you look at yourself, and you say, am I making the necessary adjustments so that I can be absolutely certain that I'm not deluded, I'm not deceiving myself, I love God and I show it by how I act towards other people. I love God and I serve the world with my gifts and my talents. You'll see it in the way that I spend my my time, my money, my energy. You'll see it in the way that I shift my values. And it's going to be obvious. So you're not saved when you work. You're not saved when you work, but you work when you're saved. I can I tell you this morning that There aren't enough jobs to go around. I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about serving the world. It It needs people that are followers to closely follow and emulate Him and do what He has paved the way for so that this world can look a little bit different because it needs to be changed. And it needs to be changed in the way that God is leading us to change it. That's where you get involved. That's that's where you get to partner with. I don't want you to stand here. Hey, thanks for listening to the Activate Church weekly podcast. We hope you are encouraged today and we would love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to activatechurch.com.